Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 4, Fear Itself, where Buffy and her friends must face all their fears in a haunted house. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. If you like Follow the Clues mysteries or supernatural thrillers, check out my first in series free ebooks at lisalilly.com slash free. About fear itself, we will cover in particular Buffy's post-Parker depression, whether the fears in the episode fit the characters as we've seen them so far or are more about foreshadowing the rest of the season. The slow pace of this episode, and on a related note, is there enough story here for a full episode? There will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Fear itself first aired on October 26, 1999. It was directed by Tucker Gates, and according to IMDb, this is the only Buffy episode he directed. It was written by David Fury. We start, as we should, with an opening conflict meant to hook the viewer and draw us into the story. We open up with a close-up on a large knife, a carving knife, and there's ominous Halloween like music but the camera then pans back and we are seeing through the carved eyes of a pumpkin and we see Xander and he says he was going for ferocious scary but this pumpkin is more wryly sardonic. Willow and Oz look on and Willow agrees that the pumpkin seems to be mocking Xander. Buffy's on the bed. She's facing them, but she is set apart. She's lying on her stomach, and her fingers are in a bowl of pumpkin innards. She's kind of picking them up and dropping them. And she says, I was just thinking about the life of a pumpkin. Grow up in the sun, happily entwined with others. Then someone comes along, cuts you open, and rips your guts out. She sounds so sad, not jokey and perky like Buffy normally would deliver that line. Xander, probably hoping to cheer her up, changes the subject to the videos that he got for Halloween night. He says, get ready for terrifying, and pulls out a video and says, Fantasia. And Oz comments, Maybe it's all the horrific things we've seen, but hippos wearing tutus just don't unnerve me the way they used to. Xander meant to get the movie Phantasm, which in my view also would have been a mistake. Um, I want to say it may have been on Halloween. Some friends and I got together and one of the guys had been raving about how scary Phantasm was. And this was back when you would go to the video store. And he, he went there and he got it and he was so excited. And maybe it was all the buildup. 
But we watched it and all of us just looked at him and said, really? So I don't know. I'd love to hear if any of you have watched Phantasm and think it's amazing. Willow and Oz exchange awkward glances as Xander talks about Halloween night and then they finally tell him that there is a frat house party. Buffy says the scary house sounds lame. Oz answers that it's pretty good you go through a whole haunted house to get to the party upstairs. Xander is put out. They didn't mention it to him and he says okay you know you have your little college thing and he has better things to do. But then Willow says he can join them and he right away agrees that he'll come but only because he lied about having better things to do. Buffy though is not cheered at this thought and she leaves early. After she's gone Oz notes that she is still having a little post Parker depression and Xander says bailing on the buff does anyone else want to smack that guy? Willow and Oz both raise their hands. This opening scene was a great use of minor conflict among our characters to get out a lot of both backstory and what is to come. Xander's pumpkin comments, him feeling left out. We know it's Halloween. We know that there's this frat house party with the haunted house that Oz thinks is pretty good. Even the video and Xander getting the wrong one adds to that feeling that he is not quite in sync with the group and of course we see that Buffy is still unhappy over Parker. In the next scene Buffy meanders across a street what looks like a demon jumps in front of her and she punches it and it turns out to be a guy in a costume and he yells he falls and he gets up and asks what is wrong with her and Buffy says that's what I'd like to know and we cut to credits. I find depressed Buffy hard to watch not not because I don't have sympathy for her but it feels kind of overwhelming to me and I guess that it is to her as well. As I talked about in the last episode I do think that this is a delayed reaction to Angel leaving and there is some evidence for that in this episode as well although it's never made explicit. I'm pretty sure Angel's name isn't mentioned and I definitely didn't pick up on that before. It just felt like too much because Buffy had not known Parker for very long. So we go to credits. We're at 3 minutes 39 seconds in and when we come back I would normally expect to see the story spark or inciting incident. That is what gets our main plot rolling and here I can't quite pick out where it is. I almost could see it as having happened earlier in those opening scenes because the haunted house is where all the action will take place. That is when they decide to go there and the story couldn't happen without that but it still feels like that isn't enough. There'll be a moment way later that I think does set off the story here but it's well into the episode. So what we get around 10% at 4 minutes 41 seconds in is Willow telling Buffy as they walk into the cafeteria that she, Willow, has the basics down, levitation, charms, but she feels like she's plateaued with her witchcraft. And next is conjuring something from nothing, primal forces, and it's a little scary. And Buffy tells her not to rush. If it's too scary, don't do it. So 
So I love the honesty in this next exchange between them because Willow says, don't do it. What kind of encouragement is that? And Buffy says, this is an encouragement talk. I thought it was share my pain. They are both very clear. Willow comes right out and makes clear she was looking for encouragement and Buffy acknowledges she didn't provide that and she thought they were talking about something else. She thought Willow was wanting sympathy and support in not going forward. And it also shows where Buffy is at because she leaps to sharing pain, not encouraging Willow to move forward because Buffy still feels like it was a mistake to take that chance with Parker. So it makes total sense to me that she is not urging Willow to leap forward into something new. Oz joins them, he overheard. He says, he knows what it's like to have a power inside yourself you can't control. And when he wolfs out, he touches something dark and it's not fun. And Willow is not happy that Oz is saying this. She wants him to be more supportive. And he assures her he is supportive. He just is concerned. And this too is nice getting out of backstory about Oz's being a werewolf through a bit of minor conflict. It also foreshadows that Oz will start to turn into the wolf at the haunted house. I am not sure that we needed to have that backstory brought in here in order to understand the later scene. Even if you didn't know Oz was a werewolf, I think that would have been clear. You would see it happening in the haunted house. So I think the viewer would get it. So while I like the use of conflict to bring out exposition, this is one of the first instances where we're going to be told something and then we're going to see it and then we're going to see it a couple more times. We're at 6 minutes 14 seconds in and Buffy hears laughing and she sees Parker at a table with a big group, a girl right next to him. And Buffy tells Willow and Oz she forgot to be hungry and she sets down her food and leaves. Willow follows, says don't let Parker chase her out. And Buffy says he didn't. I just don't want to deal with this right now. I'm taking a holiday from dealing, happily vacationing in the land of not coping. This is one of my favorite lines and also a lot of honesty here. Buffy understands what she's doing. She just can't handle this right now and she is going to take a break. Willow says Buffy will feel better at the party. Maybe she'll meet someone, but Buffy doesn't want to meet someone. She says, I've reached my quota on someone's. And this is one of the things that suggests to me now that this is more about Angel. Because this year, she did meet Eddie, who she was getting to be friends with, and then he turned into a vampire. But I didn't have a sense that that was a someone in the way Buffy means it now in terms of a possible romantic attack. Attachment. Otherwise, though, it's it's only been Parker. So I feel like her quota of someone's has to refer to Angel. And I think it would be so difficult because Parker was supposed to be that new guy to help her get over Angel. And instead, it made it all feel worse. And so she feels hopeless. It doesn't matter. Vampire guy, human guy, it ends badly. All the same, this episode already for me is lagging because now we are almost seven minutes in. This is about a 42-minute, 43-minute episode. 
And so that's a sixth of the way through and not much is happening. We don't even know if anything supernatural will happen. Buffy also says she thinks she'll have to patrol. Giles doesn't care about Halloween. And we do get a great cut here because Buffy knocks on the door and Giles opens it and he has this huge bowl full of candy and a hanging skeleton and all these other decorations. So all in on Halloween. He's also wearing, I guess, as a costume, a giant sombrero. I like to think the show would not do this now. Buffy is not impressed with the sombrero. I don't know if she finds it culturally insensitive, but she does ask him what he is wearing. She comments on how he hates Halloween. What is he doing? And he claims, no, he never hated it. He just didn't have time to embrace its inherent charms when he had his watcher duties. He also doesn't think that Buffy needs to be concerned about patrolling, but she reminds him about how Ethan turned them all into their costumes, which Giles says was an anomaly. Creatures of the night shy away from Halloween. They find it too crass, and Buffy says hard to believe, looking around at all his decorations. This is a very fun scene. It also gets out more exposition through conflict. We find out Giles used to be a watcher. I am uncertain, again, whether we needed all of that here. We're at 8 minutes, 25 seconds in. People are walking into the frat house in the daytime. Guys are inside getting it ready. Two of them talk about how they need to scare young women so they fall into the guy's arms. And one frat guy jokes that otherwise will have womenless arms. At 9 minutes, 16 seconds, one of them says he found a symbol to paint on the floor. They wanted something mystical. And he shows him a design in an old book. They're clearly doing it for fun. They don't think it means anything. This, to me, is the inciting incident. The fact that somebody finds this symbol to bring back and include in their haunted house. Because without it, and actually without something else that happens soon, there wouldn't be any story. It would just be the haunted house, the frat party haunted house. So this is very late for that to come into a story. And if I were not already engaged with Buffy and her world, I don't know that what happened so far would really keep me hanging in there. It might because I enjoy a good Halloween story and it's fun but I am used to much more happening by this time. And I did think, what if we had seen this scene before we knew the friends were going? What if we had gotten it even right after the credits? You could have definitely put it there. One of the guys, they could have been setting up the house and you could have known about this symbol and it at least would have given us that sense that, okay, Something is going to happen with this symbol that they've gotten from this old book that they don't understand. I think that might have made this be a little bit more gripping from early on. We now get some very fun Anya and Xander. Anya surprises Xander as he's leaving. He's in the basement. She's unhappy that he hasn't called. This exchange is the highlight of the episode for me. Xander says, you said you were over me. Referring back to when they slept together, and Anya says, and you just accepted that? I only said that because I thought that's what you wanted to hear. Xander responds, well, that's the funny thing about me. I tend to hear the actual things people say and accept them at face value. Anya says, that's stupid. 
And Xander says, I accept that. He is glad to see her, though. She wants to do something that night. He has plans with Buffy, Willow, and Oz. And Anya doesn't understand why he keeps hanging out with them, even though they have little in common. And she runs through that saying they go to college. He doesn't. They don't live at home. He does. Xander tells her the bonds of true friendship transcend things like that. But as he's starting to explain it, he says, never mind. Uh, He tells her about the party and says she can come with. It can be a date. She is happy they're dating. Xander tells her to wear a scary costume, and she's stumped as to what that should be. And Xander says, Anya, you, ex-demon, terrorized mankind for centuries. I'm sure you'll come up with something. Also good backstory and very fun exchange here. And it does move our Xander Anya season subplot forward through some minor conflict. We're now at 11 minutes, 43 seconds in, over a quarter way through the episode. Buffy goes to her psych class. Sometime after the class is over, she tells Professor Walsh she couldn't get to class for personal reasons and wants to pick up the assignment. Professor Walsh has no sympathy. She counts four limbs and a head and no scarring. So she assumes that it wasn't something dire and says, see the TA for assignments. If Buffy misses again, she's out. She stalks off. Riley tells Buffy she means it, you know, and Buffy says, I get the impression she wasn't saying it to make me laugh. Riley tells her her work has taken a downturn and she hasn't spoken up in class in a long time. So this tells us some significant amount of time has passed since the Parker episode. Riley is sympathetic. He remembers freshman year can be hard and asks her if it's too much fun or not enough. And Buffy says both actually. Riley tells her Professor Walsh is worth her time, but despite encouraging her to work hard, he's surprised when she says she's not going out on Halloween. He acknowledges it's not his business, but says she seems like someone who makes things hard on herself and Halloween is for fun. It's when the ghosts and goblins come out. When she asks what he's doing, though, he says he's grading papers. She thanks him for the pep talk, and he jokes that he worked long and hard to get this pompous. But Buffy tells him she really means it, and she seems like she does. And I mostly like Riley here. I think he is trying to be helpful. Somewhere around one quarter through, or sometimes a third of the way, we usually see the first major plot turn in any story, And it comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and usually raises the stakes. In Buffy, normally, it it could happen anywhere in that range, but usually, even if it's later, about a third, some major things have already happened. And we just have not had that here, and we are beyond a third of the way through. At 13 minutes, 28 seconds in, we are back at the frat house. And there is finally a major turn. The frat guys are painting a design on the floor, that design from the book. Oz and Xander are there. They have brought a better sound system over. Xander notices the design and asks what it means. And one of the guys starts to tell him about the book. But Xander's distracted by a bowl of peeled grapes. 
Another guy tells him it is meant to feel like eyeballs if you touch them blindfolded. So this is they have the girls blindfolded and tell them it's eyeballs. This is a game I remember playing in like eighth grade. So I find it interesting the frat boys are doing this. Xander says, and here I was wasting time buying them flowers and complimenting them on their shoes. One of the guys says that Xander should pledge, but Oz tells them he's a civilian. And the frat guys joke about how he looks so normal. They didn't know. Should they even let him come to the party? And Xander says, hey, standing right here, a nice foreshadowing for what will happen later. As thunder claps, it's a sound effect, Everyone is happy with the sound system, but Oz hears some sort of crackle. He pulls out a knife to trim a wire, and while he's doing it, he cuts himself. At nearly 15 minutes in, Oz says he's fine, and he shakes his hand, and blood falls on the design. The design ripples, and a big plastic spider turns real and crawls away, though no one notices. Today we have some listener comments. P.M. Ray in February, and I'm sorry I didn't get to this sooner. I had some things going on and had to record ahead. So this is the first time I have been able to include this. P.M. Ray said they were catching up but still enjoying, even though I am behind. Xander's gonna need a bigger boat comment is from the movie Jaws. So this was in graduation day, I think part two, where I had commented I didn't know what Xander meant when he said gonna need a bigger boat. And that's when he and Giles were getting the library set and putting all the dynamite out. So I didn't recognize that movie reference. So thank you. PM Ray for letting me know that on Twitter. Steve commented that season three was one of his all-time favorite episodes of television. And season four, this is the first time that he watched it. And the first two episodes, he was not very excited about. He just didn't feel they lived up to season three. But he did really like the harsh light of day, partly because Spike came back. And he felt very bad for Buffy and also hated Parker. If you would like to join the conversation, you can tweet me on Twitter. It's Lisa M, as in Marie Lily, L-I-L-L-Y, hashtag Buffy Story. You can head to the Buffy and the Art of Story Facebook page, or you can email me, lisa at lisalily.com. So the exact time of the episode was 42 minutes, 30 seconds. So this is beyond a third through. And it's the first time we know for sure that something scary and supernatural is happening, which comes from outside Buffy. It does spin the story because this is what is going to bring everything to life, including the fear demon. And I wonder if some of the issue with these early episodes is, and I I think I said this before, so now I'm getting repetitive, but the writers kind of struggling to get a feel for this new world of college that Buffy is in. And perhaps if they were getting new watchers or expecting new watchers during the season, feeling that they really had to fill in a lot of blanks 
for new viewers and maybe getting a little bogged down in that. Also, while season three definitely had a season-long story arc, it didn't begin until a couple episodes in because we essentially had to tie up season two first. And this season, those season-long arcs are beginning pretty much from that first episode just on a very, very, very slow burn So I feel like that also may be what feels like lacks a little bit of momentum. At 15 minutes 58 seconds in, we switch to Joyce. She is sewing a red cape and a hood. Uh, She let down the hem and loosened it for Buffy to wear to the haunted house party tonight. And Joyce starts feeling nostalgic for Buffy's childhood and talks about how Buffy's dad used to love to take her out for trick-or-treating and how much her dad loves spending time with her and Buffy says not enough I guess. Probably a comment on two things. One it's evidence that Hank Summers has not been spending much time with Buffy. I believe we last saw him in season two at the beginning and then he missed Buffy's birthday and I don't think we have seen him again. So it, it gives us a sense that yeah he is not around much but Buffy also might be talking about the divorce itself because Joyce tells her it wasn't her fault. Buffy tells her mom she's starting to see a pattern. Open your heart to someone and he bails on you. Maybe it's easier to just not let anyone in. Joyce tries to reassure her saying it was really hard for her when they moved to Sunnydale. She didn't make any friends the first year. But after time and a lot of effort, she has a nice circle of friends, though she's still a little gun-shy on romance. And it didn't help that her last boyfriend turned out to be a homicidal robot, a reference to the episode Ted. At the end of that episode, it was pretty clear to me that Joyce did not know that Ted was a robot, but... She also didn't know Buffy was the slayer at that point. I'm guessing that after Joyce found out about Buffy being the slayer, maybe she and Joyce had some long talks where Buffy filled her in on a lot of things, including that she had had a robot boyfriend. Joyce also assures Buffy that she has her friends and Mr. Giles and will always have Joyce and there's nothing to be afraid of. We cut to Willow on the phone in her dorm room. She's in chainmail armor and she's talking to Oz, telling him they have to force fun on Buffy. Willow then walks through the halls. We see everyone in costume, including a giant lobster arguing with a girl dressed as a birthday present, which was pretty fun. We cut to the frat house on the outside. It's nighttime now. There are lights flashing everywhere. And then we go inside the attic. And one of the frat boys leads a young woman with a blindfold to that bowl of peeled grapes. At about 19 minutes in, she takes off the blindfold. And when she looks down, she is holding real eyeballs and she screams. So this feels even more like the first major plot turn than the um, blood on the design and the spider. Because now there is some momentum with this. Now it is a danger to the people in the house The problem is this is almost halfway through before we really have, or at least I really have that feeling of the story moving forward. 
Xander is outside. He's in a tux. He comes up behind Buffy in her Red Riding Hood outfit, and they both talk about that Halloween where they were turned into their costume and all the chaos that caused, and they are both prepared. She has weapons in her covered basket, and he has dressed as James Bond so that if he's turned into his costume, he'll be cool secret agent guy. Buffy says Xander will probably end up cool head waiter guy. He claims he's happy with it so long as he wields some kind of power. This is a fun scene and it is another example of some repetition because we already reminded the viewers in the Giles scene that they were all turned into their costumes at a past Halloween and now we have Buffy and Xander reminding us again. Willow and Oz join them. She is Joan of Arc. She figures they have a lot in common since Willow was almost burned at the stake. A nice reference to gingerbread. And she says how Joan had that close relationship with God. Oz is just dressed in regular clothes, but he pulls aside his um, sweatshirt I think he's wearing to reveal a name tag that says God. And Xander wishes he'd thought of that. Three guys pass the group. They are all in camouflage and black hoods and night vision goggles. We saw them in an earlier episode stun a vampire with some kind of electrical charges. And despite that, when I first watched this season, these guys, they didn't really intrigue me that much. Buffy comments, nice costumes, very stealthy. So we are approaching the midpoint of the episode. And at the midpoint of a very strongly structured story, we typically see either the protagonist making a major commitment, going all in on the quest, throwing caution to the wind, or experiencing a major reversal. Here, I don't see that. I'm I'm looking hard to find it, but I don't see it. At 20 minutes, 36 seconds in, we cut to inside the house. Everyone is screaming and running. There is one girl on the couch with blood running down her face. Then we switch to downstairs where it's relatively quiet and Buffy and her friends enter. You could see this as a reversal. Certainly it's a reversal for the people in the house already. But the reversal at the midpoint usually directly affects the protagonist in an immediate and clear way. Or you get that major commitment. And while Buffy did enter the house... It's a bit of a commitment. It's going to move the story forward. But usually what gives the midpoint that momentum that really grabs us and really propels the story is that the protagonist is making a choice, a definite choice, throwing caution to the wind. Buffy is not doing that because she doesn't know what she's stepping into. So it feels more like just a turn in the story or an escalation. We do have escalating tension throughout the next third or so of the story. So it's not that it doesn't keep building, but we don't have that strong direct reversal or commitment. So it makes it lag a bit. We cut to more screaming inside, a guy running through the halls, but our friends don't hear that. We cut back to Oz as they enter the house and he says, let the horrors begin. We then cut back to a different frat guy who falls down the stairs and he's at the bottom with a broken neck. And there is a very low, scary voice that says something. I can't quite hear what it is, but later we'll hear that voice again and it will say, release me. So that probably is it. 
Buffy, though, is in a different part of the house, and she pokes a bit of fun at the fake cobwebs and the props and says if she was Abbott and Costello, this would be fairly traumatic. At 22 minutes, 23 seconds in, a fake skeleton scares Xander. Then Oz sees a real tarantula on Willow's shoulder, and Willow is pretty freaked out by it. So there's a little bit of escalation there. Then Buffy sees real blood on the floor. And at first they think it is still part of the setup, real human blood, but that the frat boys put it there. Then they hear squeaking and real bats fly down on them from the ceiling. But once they all fly away, Oz picks one up that's lying on the ground and now it is just a rubber bat. And we hear that deep echoey voice say, release me. We cut to Anya in a giant bunny suit. She walks up to the outside of the house, but instead of a door, there was just siding across that area. She looks around. Someone in the attic screams and pounds on the window. And as Anya watches, the window is bricked over. Anya says Xander and hurries away as much as she can with those giant bunny paws. Inside the house, our friends can't find a door. They start to think they're walking in circles. So this is a bit more of a reversal for Buffy. We're a ways past the midpoint, but now she is stuck in the house. But mostly this still feels like, okay, a little bit more of an escalation. Willow says, I have an idea. Let's get out of here. And Buffy says, and you were so anxious for me to come. She's very sarcastic here in tone, and I can't recall Buffy using this tone. Uh, she, I'm sure she did with some villains or vampires, but even there, she's usually more quippy and not sarcastic. Maybe with Angel. She might have used that tone with Angel, but it, it just doesn't feel like Buffy to me. And Willow says, I'm serious, Buffy. We don't know what we're dealing with. Xander hears something and says, does anyone else hear that? But Buffy ignores him and tells Willow once they start dealing with something, she'll know what she's dealing with. And then she says, do you hear that? And Xander says, like I said, sounds like a hissing. Buffy says, like a sound. And Xander says, I thought the word hissing kind of covered that nicely. We're at 25 minutes, 37 seconds in. They all look around. Buffy opens a door. And a guy is crouched inside. He's saying, he's sorry, he's sorry, he didn't know, it's alive. We cut to the fake skeleton as it straightens its head and lifts a knife, and then we cut to commercial. When we come back, we're in the same spot, and the skeleton stabs Buffy from behind. She turns and punches and kicks it and knocks it down. And she thinks the cape took most of the knife slice. So that's about 26 and a quarter minutes in and that is more of a major reversal for Buffy although it doesn't seem to hurt her all that much. They hear screaming from elsewhere and when they turn to look for the guy who was in that closet, the closet door slams and then the door disappears. It's just a wall. Buffy tells the others she'll make her way upstairs to see if anyone needs help and the others should find a way out. Willow doesn't want to leave Buffy behind, but Buffy says they need the only person who can make sense out of what's happening. 
We cut to Giles. He's alone eating his candy, looking bored. Anya knocks for once. This may be the only time we see Anya actually knock on Giles' door rather than just walking in. She tells Giles Xander's in trouble. He's trapped. And when he asks about the others, she says, oh, yes, Buffy and the others are trapped too, but they need to save Xander. And she explains about the window disappearing. Giles says something about a temporal flux, and he goes to get some supplies as Anya shifts impatiently from one foot to the other. He tells her not to worry about Xander. At least he's amongst friends. We cut to Buffy saying, Will, I'm telling you. And Willow says, telling me? You're telling me? And Willow says it's not Buffy's call. Buffy disagrees. Xander tries to intervene, and they ignore him, or maybe already they can't hear him or see him. And Willow says, being the Slayer doesn't automatically make you the boss. So this conflict feels out of nowhere to me. I don't feel like we've seen this before. I guess there was a hint of it when Willow decided to go to UC Sunnydale and Buffy said, I can't let you do that and just assumed Willow was coming just to be with her. But that was an assumption that Willow was coming because they're friends and because Buffy couldn't go anywhere else. And Willow said, no, I want to join this fight. This is what I want to do. And it doesn't seem to me that we've seen Buffy look down on that or stand in the way of that. So I'm not sure why we're getting this from Willow. You're not the boss. I have probably watched all of Buffy. I can't even count the number of times. And only on this time going through it did it hit me that it really probably is the house that is causing this because of Giles' comment about the temporal flux and something that he'll say later. And I also went to look at who wrote the episode, thinking maybe it was a writer who didn't usually write for Buffy. But David Fury, I'm I'm pretty sure he's he did a number of Buffy episodes before this. He's very involved in the show. The director, though, if that is his only Buffy, I wonder if to some extent some of what is feeling not quite right to me is maybe he is directing the actors somewhat differently and not quite having down the Buffy-Willow dynamic because I feel like there probably was a way to direct this and act this maybe even with the same lines where it would have felt like a more authentic conflict between the two of them. It gets worse from there. They say, okay, well, tell me what it is you want to do. And Willow says she wants to do a simple guiding spell for lost travelers, conjuring an emissary to light the way. And Buffy tells her to be realistic. Conjuring her basic spells are only about 50-50. Going to my issue about acting, if she said this in a more typical Buffy way, somewhat kind with a note of concern for Willow or more sort of stating a fact instead of mad, I think that this would have worked better for me. And Willow could have still been upset about it. But her being like snippy and mad, I don't know if, as I raised in the beginning of the episode, is this due to the post-Parker depression? She's depressed, so now she's angry, or she's fearful about leaving people, so she's angry. We did have Xander give that Dadaist pep talk in episode one, where he talked about fear leads to anger. Maybe that's what we're seeing here, or it's the house. But that was another instance where it, it just didn't feel right. Willow responds to that 50-50 comment with, oh yeah, well, so's your face. And Buffy looks stunned and asks what that means. And Willow says, I'm not your sidekick. And Willow stalks off in a huff. 
Oz goes after her. So we're 28 minutes, 56 seconds in, and this feels more like that major reversal that we could have seen at the midpoint. This is a real reversal for Buffy. She feared being abandoned, and now her friends are leaving her. Xander tells Buffy everyone's on edge. Willow might be overreacting. Part of it is probably because Buffy's been pushing away girl lately. Although we haven't exactly seen that. Yeah, Buffy left early, but Willow didn't seem angry. She seemed concerned. Buffy, though, doesn't answer Xander. It seems like it's because she's going through the weapons in her basket. But just as he's saying he's right with her by her side, she calls his name and looks around as if she doesn't see him, and she doesn't. And she walks off saying, this is so typical of him. And he says, typical? Buffy keeps calling his name, walks farther away. The camera angle shows him getting smaller and farther from her, and he tries to follow her. We cut to candles burning somewhere else. Xander rounds a corner, and he's now alone. We then shift to Willow. She's ranting to Oz that Buffy thinks Willow's not ready to be a full-blown witch. They reach a familiar spot that Oz says used to have windows and now it doesn't, but at least the stairs are there. Willow climbs up saying, Buffy didn't find the stairs, no sir. And I kind of love this petulant Willow. I think she's very fun. Overall, I feel like I find Willow more believable in in this. Maybe it's just that Allison Hannigan makes that work. Or because we understand Willow's frustration over trying to move forward with her magic. It's not going how she wants it to. Oz follows her up the stairs, but he is distracted because he looks down and his hand is sprouting fur. This is where it seems more clear to me the house is tapping into the deepest fears and making things happen. It's 30 minutes, 31 seconds in. Willow is still talking and Oz tells her something's happening and Willow says something good and she turns and sees Oz almost in wolf face and says, oh no. She wants to find something to restrain him. He says he has to get away. She keeps arguing and he slashes her hand and runs. And Willow says, Oz, Oz, don't leave me. And don't leave me echoes as he runs and disappears. Today's podcast is sponsored by Creating Compelling Characters from the Inside Out. No matter what type of fiction you write or want to write, it's the characters that draw readers in. If the reader doesn't care about them, the most gripping plot won't carry the day. So how do you get your readers to care? Character diagrams, checklists, and charts can take you only so far. You need to know your characters and love or hate them just as you do real people, which means learning about your characters from the inside out. In this book, you'll explore your characters' lives, loves, and values so you can understand their hopes and fears, learn what drives them to do what they do, and create living, breathing characters rather than cardboard cutouts. Creating compelling characters from the inside out uses questions and prompts designed to help you peer into your characters' hearts and minds. And examples from popular books and classics, including Gone Girl, Stephen King's The Dead Zone, 
and Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Are you ready to create real, engaging characters that will keep your readers turning pages? Download Creating Compelling Characters from the Inside Out today or order the workbook edition. You can find a link in the show notes or find this book and other books on writing craft at writingasasecondcareer.com or in the nonfiction tab on my author website, lisalilly.com. Of course, Willow would not want Oz to leave her, but this feels a little bit off to me because Buffy is the one who has that fear of being left alone. We are now reaching where we should see the last major plot turn. Typically, it grows from the midpoint and spins the story in yet another new direction. We're at that point and all our friends are separated. In a way, that comes from the midpoint, which is where they entered the house. So they entered the house, now they're separated. Xander alone finds a mirror. He's relieved to see himself. The severed head behind him, it's on a shelf and it comes to life and says, I can see you. We cut to Oz. He's in a bathtub and he's part wolf, but he's whispering, you're not going to change. You're not going to change over and over. We then cut to Buffy, who is alone exploring the house. While I enjoy the haunted house motif, and there are a lot of homages to, to different classic horror stories in here, we keep getting these cuts back and forth to these characters that feel repetitive to me. Cuts in the middle of scenes that then come back and we're in the same scene. A number of times we'll see Buffy alone, we'll see Xander alone. Willow multiple times insisted that she could do this spell and nothing really new is happening. We do have a little more movement with Willow because next time we cut to her, she does a spell asking the goddess of laws for help and she's thrilled when a tiny white light appears. But Willow's not sure where she wants to go first and she talks it through out loud and each time she mentions an option, another light appears. And she's torn between looking for Oz, finding the people upstairs who might need help, or finding a way out of the house. Pretty soon she has a bunch of lights swarming around her like bugs. She inhales some when she calls for Oz and she runs. At 33 minutes 27 seconds in, we go back to Buffy in yet another corridor. This time she hears Willow yelling for help. Buffy breaks through a door but she falls into a basement. She's lying on a dirt floor and a voice says, all alone and the guy who broke his neck earlier walks around a corner his neck is still bent and he tells her they all ran away they always will and he quotes her statement to her mom earlier about opening your heart to someone and they leave and he half laughs and tells her not to fret she's not alone anymore and hands burst out of the floor all around Buffy we cut to a commercial we return to that same scene She is struggling to fight because she got hurt when she fell. Then we cut to Giles. He's outside the house with Anya, feeling part of the outside wall where that door used to be. And this is a a fun scene. He looks at a book. He studies the wall. Anya looks on, still in her bunny costume, clearly very nervous. And Giles says, They have to create a door. So as the audience, we think he's going to do some incantation, but instead he pulls a chainsaw out of his bag and starts it buzzing. Buffy is still fighting. She tries to crawl away. 
the guy tells her no matter how hard she fights, she'll just end up in the same place. That would have been a really interesting fear to explore. It doesn't quite fit with the post-Parker depression, but it seems like a fear that would be a real one for Buffy, that she is just going to fight and fight and fight and nothing gets any better. This time, though, she gets through a small door. It shuts behind her, and she's in the attic with all these people who are cowering in fear, whispering to themselves, including Oz, who is not a wolf, but is still whispering about not changing. Willow runs in, yelling, get him off me, get him off. And this feels, all of this, more like what should have happened at three quarters of the way through. This is a major turn. Everyone now is in the attic. Oz calms Willow down. Xander is off to one side. He says he'd offer his opinion, but they won't hear him. And he says, not that didn't go to college guy has anything important to say. And Buffy walks over, stands in front of him and says, what is wrong with you? Again, we have angry Buffy. I'm still struggling with why she is so angry. But he is just grateful she can see him. Oz says the house separated them to scare them, but Willow says they got away. And Buffy disagrees. She says they were brought here. She sees the mark on the floor and finds the book that it came from, but it's in Gaelic. And this low voice again says, release me. Willow tries to translate. She says it's the mark of Gaknar. And Gaknar is trying to come into being and it feeds on fear. So Buffy says fear is feeding it. So if they get everyone out of the attic, it won't be able to feed. Then there is this huge loud noise. They're all frightened as a silhouette with a chainsaw bursts through the door. So I mentioned movie references. I am sure there are more than I am seeing. There was the direct one of Abbott and Costello. We have the Wolfman. We have the Ghostbusters, the idea that your fears will manifest. Don't think about your fear. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm sure there were others. Anyone who has one, let me know. PM Ray, maybe you're out there listening and you caught more. I would love to hear them. Xander recognizes Giles first and he says, Giles, hey everyone, it's Giles. With a chainsaw. I, I didn't do it justice. His inflection is fantastic there. This like relief mixed with an edge of panic. Anya comes in to hug Xander. We're now at 39 minutes in and the wall closes behind Giles. He looks at the book and he explains that Gaknar changes the reality of the house. They can't allow Gaknar to come into being. And when Buffy asks well, can't she fight it? He shows her this drawing in the book, and she agrees she doesn't want to fight that. We are now reaching the climax. This is where the opposing forces have their final clash and the conflict resolves. Notice how it was so sort of slow getting anything to happen, not a lot of clear plot turns, and we get to the attic, which feels like it should be this major turn, but we kind of get there and just jump to the climax. We're out of time, so we need to do that. So they all agree they need to break the spell. Giles starts to read about how they can do that, and he tells them the summoning spell for Gaknar can be broken in one of two ways, destroying the mark of Gaknar. And before he can finish, Buffy goes to the design on the wood floor and punches through the center of it, and she stands looking very pleased with herself and happy. And Giles says... 
is not one of them and will in fact immediately bring forth the fear demon itself. The group watches as something breaks through the floor and the camera angle goes very close up on Gaknar. So we are sort of below him watching him rise and it's very scary and he emerges and grows and lots of deep voice groaning and then the camera backs off and we see our group looking down on Gaknar who is tiny, barely the size of one of their hands. And in this high-pitched voice that's pretty quiet, he says things like he's Lord of Nightmares, bringer of terror, as Buffy smirks. Willow says he's so cute. Xander leans over Gaknar and says, who's a little fear demon? Come on, who's a little fear demon? Giles says, don't taunt the demon. Xander looks nervous, straightens up and says, why, can he hurt me? And Giles says, no, it's just tacky. Gagnar tells Buffy they're all going to abandon you, you know, and Buffy says, yeah, yeah, and stamps her foot on him. Now we are in the falling action. That is where we tie up loose ends after the climax and resolve any subplots. It's 41 minutes, 12 seconds in. We're in Giles' apartment. They are all enjoying his Halloween candy. And Buffy says there is no problem that cannot be solved by chocolate. But Willow feels like barfing and they agree that is one of them that can't be. Xander asks Anya about the bunny costume and she says bunnies scare her. Giles has been looking at the book and he says, oh, bloody hell. He should have translated the inscription. Everyone is worried. There's ominous music. And Buffy says, what's it say? And Giles says, actual size and shows her the very tiny drawing. Buffy rolls her eyes and closes the book. There is a lot of fun here with the movie references and the atmosphere and some of the dialogue lines. But unlike episodes one and two with Buffy's first time on campus and Kathy, the roommate from hell, those I rarely look forward to watching. But then when I watch them, there is more in there that is fun and that I enjoy than I remembered. This one, I often have the opposite experience because it's a haunted house episode and it's Halloween and I think of it, oh, as a fun Buffy episode. I remember I don't love it, but I look forward to it and then I watch it and it feels, I feel like nothing is happening. I understand it mainly is one of those episodes that is sort of a filler when you had 22 episodes a season there were always some that didn't necessarily have a lot of movement for the season story arc but usually the self-contained episodes themselves have their own momentum and this one just flags for me I've mentioned the plot points also, the episode climax is anticlimactic. That is the point. They all discover that their fears are tiny. But after the whole episode, it just doesn't feel like enough to me. And maybe the issue is not so much the plot turns and where they are, but that there isn't really enough story here for a full episode. I feel like that is why we get so many scenes. Buffy alone, and then Xander alone, and then Willow struggling, and then Oz in the bathtub, and Buffy alone again, and Xander alone again, and Willow talking about the spell again. If you cut all of that, and you cut some of the exposition that we don't really need, you could have a very tight 25-minute episode that probably would move along really well. 
there is a lot, and I'll talk about it in the spoilers, that is setting up things for the rest of the season. But since we don't know that yet, it doesn't really feel like the subplots go anywhere either, which is why we have this super short falling action. There aren't subplots that need to resolve here. Of all the character arcs or fears that are worked through, Xander's are the ones that feel the most authentic to me in terms of really fitting with what's happening because he clearly does feel disconnected from his friends. And and I feel like Xander is his feeling that no one is hearing him or seeing him. That is a real manifestation of his fear. As I mentioned with Willow, it felt a little discordant there. Maybe if we had stuck with her fears about doing magic more so than her feelings about her friends or will Oz leave her or is Buffy mad at her and with Buffy I don't know how you would have done it differently since her fear seems to be more about loving someone romantically maybe not totally because she's also talking about her dad leaving but I guess I would say maybe more about men leaving and it doesn't quite seem like she actually has that fear of her friends abandoning her. Either we need something to show why she has that fear to begin with, or the experience in the house would have to more directly reflect her inner life. I will have more in spoilers on the season-long arcs, so I hope you will stick around for that. If not, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will come back next Monday for Beer Bad When Buffy Drowns Her Sorrows. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. Quick one, the reference to Fantasia. There will be another Fantasia reference, I want to say season six, where Willow wants to clean up the magic shop by using magic and Giles says something about how badly that worked out in Fantasia and Willow grumbles that she thinks she can do better than a cartoon mouse. Xander's comment about they all have this little college thing going will return throughout the season and at the end of the season in particular where he feels inferior to his friends or he feels that they think he is inferior that will become a source of conflict as will this issue of being a sidekick. Spike, when he starts sort of, I guess not being part of the group, but when he has that chip in his head and can't fight, later in the season he does sometimes work with them and he likes to torment them since he can't hurt them physically. And one of the ways he does that is to tell them they are the sidekicks, that Buffy fights evil, they are just tagging along. Also, we foreshadow some of Willow's issues with magic, how her spells go wrong in another spike-heavy episode when Willow is so upset after Oz has left, she does a spell for her will to be done and she doesn't realize that it has worked. So all kinds of things happen, including Buffy getting engaged to Spike. So that is pretty fun. But she puts her friends in a lot of danger. And this episode certainly foreshadows that, that Willow is trying to learn more and move forward with magic. But it does have its perils. And this is the first spell that we see really going wrong on her. 
There's a little foreshadowing of Buffy and Riley. We have this interaction between them. I found it interesting that I liked Riley here in that he was sympathetic to Buffy. I do think her talk with him made her feel a little better temporarily. But he makes that comment about she seems to be someone who makes things hard on herself. And this does foreshadow some of the conflicts they will have where Buffy is explaining to him that her life is very difficult, that she has faced apocalypse and death. And he keeps seeing it as she is just being negative. Joyce saying she'll always be there for Buffy, of course, is heartbreaking since we know that next year she will die and not be there. So this this part of Buffy's fear will come true. These cameos with the army guys, obviously foreshadowing more of the initiative plot, as I mentioned, didn't intrigue me all that much the first time through. Now it's sort of interesting to see how much they popped up early on. But I didn't feel like it added a whole lot. And, and I, I always feel a little annoyed when I see the initiative, guys. So we'll get into that as I go through the season. There are episodes I really do love with the initiative, though. So that is one of those that usually I end up liking better as I watch. As there is some very strong foreshadowing here, that idea of the power inside him that he can't control foreshadows Wild at heart, that power inside him where he meets Veruca and, and it taps into that longing within him for that power. And then in Full Moon Rising when he comes back and he thinks that he's mastered it. And we see some foreshadowing of that here where he's saying to himself, I'm not, you're not going to change, you're not going to change. And he doesn't change. And then later in the season when he goes away and he comes back and he says, oh, I've mastered this. I can control the wolf now. And he really thinks he can. And then it turns out that he cannot after all. Also interesting here when he and Willow are talking and Willow's saying, we got to get something to restrain you. And he says, I have to get away. And he runs off. That is how he is going to handle it when he realizes the wolf is always there. He says that in this episode early on, but I don't think he's he's really come to terms with that. And when he does, his reaction is, I have to get away. He leaves Willow. He doesn't talk with her about it. So that that is definitely foreshadowed here. And that's part of what I mean about I feel like a lot of this episode is less about the fears they have right now and maybe more about what is to come, laying the groundwork for what's to come. And that is never more true than Willow's Oz Don't Leave Me which doesn't fit with what her fears are supposed to be in this episode, but does foreshadow what happens. And it's hard to watch that part knowing what is coming. Finally, a fun foreshadowing, the tiny white lights Willow conjures make me think of later in the season, they're going through a passageway and Willow illuminates the whole area. Tara says, how did you learn to do that? And Willow says, you taught me. And Tara says something like, I taught you tiny Tinkerbell lights. And Willow's like, oh, well, I just expanded on that. And then later in season six, Tara will send the tiny Tinkerbell lights 
to guide Willow back to the magic shop when all the demon bikers are chasing her and Xander. So that's a really nice either foreshadowing or just something they went back and used that was in that episode. That is it for this episode. Thank you again for listening and particular thank you to patrons who support the show. I hope you will all come back next Monday for Beer Bad when Xander gets a fake ID to become a bartender and Buffy still feels really bad about Parker. Music for this episode was composed and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.